1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me say I am, I am very happy to see everyone here today, whether you're a long-time member or a visitor. I'm glad everyone's here. Everyone looks good in their Easter best. And I hope you will stay awake for the next 20 to 30 minutes as I preach this word that I've been thinking on all week. And, and I hope it'll be a, a challenge and an encouragement and... You know, who knows, right? It, it could be that this word this morning, as we preach it, would be a life-changing, would be life-changing for someone. And I hope it's life-changing every time we open it, but um, I, I hope and pray you'll, you've already heard some of this text as the men read it earlier, uh, but we'll try to dive a little more deeply into this and, and really discuss what is the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what does it mean and what are the implications and why is it so important and why do we celebrate it and you know the reality is, right, that we celebrate this every Sunday, right? That's actually why we meet on Sundays, right? The, the day the Lord rose, the first day we, we celebrate. So, But today, of course, I think just society, our mind goes to celebrating the resurrection very specifically on this day. I would say that, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, do you think across our country today that churches are mostly full? I think today a lot of people are hurting with finances or relationships or addictions or all types of issues in their life. And I imagine all across the world there are churches full of people who want to show up and hear what God might say to them and how God might help their situation. And I hope and pray that that happens all across the world and I hope and pray that happens with us this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church, and if you've ever studied the church at Corinth, you know they were, like most churches, they had some problems. They had a lot of problems. And he wrote this letter to correct many of their church issues. And the issue in chapter 15 is that some of the people there did not believe that, that, that bodies would be resurrected. Um, they, they believed the body would stay in the grave forever. There, they would say there is no resurrection. And Paul writes to say, no, if Christ be raised then so will our bodies be raised. And that's kind of the, the, the misunderstanding he is attempting to correct here in 1 Corinthians 15. So I want to give you three points from this sermon in good Baptist fashion. Three points to describe to us the resurrection of Christ. Number one, the resurrection is necessary. It is necessary. Look with me again at verses 1 through 4. If you're in verse 1, say word. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. We see here in verse 1 the, this word gospel, which is one of my favorite words. And we know that the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. It's a good basic definition of gospel. The good news that God saves sinners through Christ. And we know that there are several vital parts to that gospel message, to that good news. And I can give you a few of them right now and and they're not necessarily found specifically in this text, but we know they're true. First, Jesus is God and man. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. 
Can we explain all that? Not really, but I don't want a God I can explain completely, right? I want a God that has some greatness to him, some mysteriousness to him, and Jesus is God and man. Secondly, he was born of a virgin when he came here over 2,000 years ago. Thirdly, he lived a perfect life, right? Jesus kept every point of the law perfectly, never failing, never sinning, not one time. Fourth, we know he died a sacrificial death. Now look back in your text there in the scripture. In verse 3 it says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Why do we call Good Friday good? I mean, is it good necessarily that people took our Lord and Savior, God, and crucified him? In and of itself, right, that's not good, but because he did it for sinners like us to redeem us, to save us, to make us new, to give us eternal life, we know it is good. And we're talking here about the substitutionary atonement. And remember this, the gospel in four words, Jesus in my place. Jesus in my place. So here are some vital parts of the gospel, but what would happen if the gospel stopped there? If it stopped there, it would be incomplete. I was studying this, and I read a story about um, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson, had a, he made his own Bible, basically, if you've ever heard the story, and he took out all the supernatural stuff. So he's got this Bible, and Congress actually had a special edition of the Thomas Jefferson Bible, and they passed it out to people, gave it out to people. And so the last words in Jefferson's Bible says this, there lay Jesus, there they lay Jesus, and rolled a great stone to the mouth of the tomb and departed. That's the last words of Thomas Jefferson's Bible. Aren't you glad our Bible doesn't end that way? Thank God it goes on to tell us what he did and that there is a resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. It is vital. It is essential to our gospel. It's essential to our faith and to all that we do and all that we teach that Jesus Christ bodily rose again. I wanted to point this out to you as well in these first four verses, specifically verses 1 and 2. He tells these people about the gospel, and he says, which you have received, and you, wherein you stand, and you're saved if you keep in memory that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. And the idea here is that when we believe in Christ, that belief doesn't stop, it doesn't go away. He says, unless you believed in vain, what Paul says. So there were people probably in the church there, right, who said, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the things that the Bible teaches, but they had never truly received him and repented and believed. And Paul says, have you believed in vain, or is your faith real? I will say that to us this morning, church. Have you truly put your faith and trust and hope in Christ alone, or is your faith in vain? A couple of scriptures I have for you here. Romans 10 and 9 says, that you're saved if, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Here we see the resurrection mentioned as a vital part of the gospel. And then I mentioned this in Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This perseverance of the saints is the promise that God who started something in you we'll bring it to completion. That if God does a work, a salvation work in us, he will fulfill it. There is no gospel without the resurrection of Christ 
And the gospel is not applied to you unless you are a true believer in that Christ, the one who conquered death. Secondly, notice the resurrection is reality. The resurrection is reality. Everyone who is here right now, um, if you're a Christian, you should know that our faith rests in this question. Did Jesus Christ actually, literally, physically rise from the dead? And everything in our faith hinges on that, right? Would you say this morning, do you believe that? I hope you say yes. I hope you say amen. I hope you say yes. I hope so. I believe it. Millions of, other, millions of others believe it. If that's not true, then what are we doing here, right? But if it is true, and we say it is, then this is right where we need to be. In his word, with his people, worshiping him. So in verses 5 through 8, we read earlier that he talks about these different people, like Peter, James, Paul even uses himself. He, he saw Jesus in a different time. And then he also mentions there in verse 6, 500 people, 500 brethren saw Jesus at once. There's this, Paul giving this evidence that many people saw him and walked with him and talked with him. And, and if we could talk to those people today, if we could, they could walk in here and speak to us, they would, I think they would testify very strongly. That was Jesus we saw. We saw the wounds in his hands and in his feet. We saw the wound in his side. That was, we heard his voice. We talked to him. That was Jesus. Our, our faith has always rested on this evidence from these early eyewitnesses, and, and it's built upon that. But many people have tried to debunk the resurrection of Christ. Y'all know this. Some of you have heard these theories. I've looked up these theories this week. I found one, one place had like 10 different theories about how the resurrection of Christ was not real. But I'm going to give you four. Check out these four false theories. The first one is the, the wrong tomb theory. Have you ever heard this before? This theory says that the ladies, who apparently are bad with directions, just kidding, the ladies apparently went to the wrong tomb. Now, I find this pretty far-fetched. First of all, this was the tomb of, of Joseph of Arimathea, and a pretty well-known guy, wealthy guy. This would not be some backwoods tomb. This would be something that is, uh, he would know, they would know where Jesus was buried. It was, a big, it was a big deal. The whole ordeal was a big deal. Of course they would know. But this is one theory. The second one is the swoon theory. You heard this, that Jesus didn't really die. He was just kind of passed out. Well, first of all, the whole point of crucifixion was to kill people, right? People did not survive. I read one account of, of history where someone survived a crucifixion, but within 24 hours ha had died. And we know from Scripture in John 19 that they took a spear, right? And they made sure as they stabbed our Savior. Again, it's a theory to try to disprove it. How about the hallucination theory? That all these people, Peter, Paul, James, 500 others, that they all hallucinated about seeing Jesus. Now, I believe that one person can have a hallucination, or maybe two, but I've never heard of a 500-person hallucination. Maybe it's happened. But again, just a theory that people in the world have tried to throw out to debunk the resurrection. How about this final one, the fourth one, the stolen body theory? Ever heard that one? The disciples were very clever, according to this theory. They went back, 
By the way, where were the disciples? Remember when before Jesus was arrested or when he was being arrested, didn't they scatter? They fleed? Do you think these scared, running away disciples would come back three days later and overtake Roman soldiers and steal the body of Christ? Again, it's a, it's a, it's a theory. And I think the best way to debunk this theory is to ask yourself this question. Would these disciples have died for a hoax like that? Have you ever read how the disciples died? A couple of them are in Scripture. A lot of them are in history. But all of them were persecuted. They all scattered. They all preached the gospel. They were all persecuted in different ways. Almost every one of them, according to history, were executed, whether crucified or beheaded, and all types of other awful um, deaths. If the resurrection were a hoax, would these disciples have spent the rest of their life living for Jesus, preaching this gospel, and then ultimately dying for it? No. I don't believe so. Um, a lot of us like true crime shows. Y'all like true crime shows? And I like when I watch those shows trying to figure out who did it or how they did it or whatever. You're trying to piece together everything it gives you on the show to guess who the killer is or whatever, who the criminal is. And so I think, we, I think we're, we're prone to think that way about evidence and what it means. And, and as I read so much information this week about thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of people who've gone through the, the evidence of the resurrection of Christ, including many historians and scholars and lawyers. Even lawyers have gone through and tried to like use their law expertise to debunk it. And one of them I read from, who's a Christian, uh, he said this, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved by fuller evidence than the great sign that God has given as that Christ died and rose again from the dead. We hold firm to the truth that the resurrection of Christ is a reality. And that's how Paul spoke it in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's move to our third and final point. The resurrection is essential. And I think this is what I really want you to hear this morning and know and understand completely is why, why does it matter to us, right? Why does this matter? Why should we get excited about singing in Christ alone? Or why should we get excited about praying? Or why should we get excited about coming together today to celebrate the resurrection? First, it guarantees the deity of Christ. Again, I don't take this point straight from the text, but we know this is true, that that because Christ rose again, we can trust he is who he said he was. I would, I would go this far. If Christ did not rise from the dead, then we should not listen to what he said. But if he did rise from the dead, we must listen to and obey everything he said. He is God. Secondly, notice that it matters to our, our preaching. The resurrection, look at verse 14 with me. He says that if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain. If we don't have a resurrected Christ to preach, we don't have a message to preach. And we are wasting our time. Many men and women have gone and shared the gospel and been missionaries and given their lives like the disciples to preach this message. I want to give you a couple of these um, I've shared some of this before, but there was a reformer named John Huss, and in 1415, he was burned at the stake, 
And he said as he was being burned, In the truth of the gospel which I preach, I will willingly and joyfully die today. Again, the resurrection matters to preaching the gospel. How about, you've heard of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley also burned at the stake. This is in 1555. And uh, one of the men said to the other one as they're being lit on fire, he said, we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace that will never be put out. The resurrection matters to preaching the gospel. My favorite story like this is the story of Polycarp. I'm sure everybody's probably heard this one. A disciple of John the Apostle who loved God. He was an older man in the church. I think he was 86 years old, I think. And, and the Roman bounty hunters went to find him, to arrest him. And they said, the story goes, they got there to arrest him. And he said, well, let me, let me fix you a meal first. And I guess these soldiers were hungry. They're like, okay, we'll eat. And so they sit down, and he's feeding them a meal, and, and, they, and he said, well, can I, can I take a moment to pray? And they said, yeah, take an hour to pray. And the story is that he, he took more than an hour, took a couple of hours to pray, and that some of these soldiers heard him pray, and his prayer was so powerful, they actually turned their lives to Christ and looked to Christ. And uh, I, don't, I don't know, again, this is all not biblical. This is a story, a, a history, but he was a real person that lived, and, this, and much of this, I believe, happened. And he was taken to this Roman Colosseum, like the movie Gladiator, if you've ever seen that movie put out in the middle of this Colosseum, and they're going to kill Christians there. And the crowd was chanting, according to the story, that they wanted him to die by a beast, send a wild animal out there to rip him apart. But the leaders said, no, we're going to light him on fire. And they said, Polycarp, please, you're an old man. you only got a few years left. Please just recant of Jesus and be saved. And here's what he said. Eighty and six years I've served him, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The story's told that Polycarp, they lit him on fire, but that he wouldn't burn quickly. That he was just there praising the Lord. And the story's told that, like Jesus, they took a spear into his side. And I share that story with you because those men I just mentioned who gave their lives, to them, the resurrection mattered to their preaching. Because they knew what Paul had wrote here, that as they gave their life, one day Christ would raise them from the dead as well. Thirdly there, notice it matters to our faith. Look again at verse 14. If Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith is in vain. And then I want you to look at verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you are yet in your sins church we understand that we're all sinners we know we understand that but if you are still in your sin if you've not repented turned to christ then you are still in your sins as verse 17 says but all of us who believe we see here that christ's resurrection makes our faith real and helps to wash away our our sin a couple of scriptures I want to give you. Romans 4, 24 and 25 says, It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, justification. Romans 8, 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, and he is at the right hand of God interceding for us. The resurrection is throughout scripture, throughout the New Testament, as a part of our faith. Fourthly, it matters to our eternity look at verse 19 
you're taking notes, I would note this, this verse this morning. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You know what I thought about when I read that verse this week? I thought, life, life is short. It is, right? The Bible says it's like a vapor. People walk outside on a cold morning and blow, and you see it, but it's here and gone. Now, how many of you would say, Man, my life has just flown by? Can we all say that? Like, for the most part, I feel like some days are long, but as far as our life, it feels like it just kind of flies by. And I read verse 19 and thought, man, if my only hope, if my only desire, if my only joy was what happens in this life only, that would be a pretty sad existence. And that's why many people who believe that, by the way, they party it up, right? Party it up while we're here because this is going to be it, is what many people believe. But we don't believe that. We understand that because of Christ, not only do we have hope in this life, but we have hope in the life to come, right? To have hope in Christ in this life only would mean our teaching, our preaching, our fellowshipping, all that we do as a church. If we hope only in this life, then all of this would really just be for, for a waste or maybe just for some entertainment or enjoyment. If Christ is still dead, if Christ is still in that grave, he cannot help you in this life or the next. He cannot improve your earthly life, and he cannot guarantee your eternal life if he is still in a grave somewhere. But we know he is not in the grave. You can go over there. You can make a trip, fly, and you'll find an empty tomb where Jesus is not there. God aims to restore us, and this is the point of 1 Corinthians 15, that one day these bodies, no matter what happens to them on this earth, will be raised reuniting with our souls and glorify that we will live with God forever. God aims to restore us completely. I'm so thankful you all woke up this morning. Aren't you thankful? Woke up this morning? Yeah, some, for some it was harder than others. Thomas Watson, the Puritan, said this, We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. Pretty good surety. That because Christ rose, we will rise again. Speaking of this morning, I, um, I was laying in bed last night, struggling to fall asleep, thinking over my sermon and praying some and tossing and turning. And I was kind of just work, working through these points in my mind and trying to remember the story of Polycarp in my mind. <laughs> it's a long story. And... I kind of got to my conclusion, and I fell asleep. And I really didn't have a good conclusion in my notes this week. And so I was like, I don't know what my conclusion will be for the sermon. Maybe I'll just say, you know, we're done, bye, you know, I don't know. But so I just fell asleep with no conclusion in, that, in my retelling of the sermon in my head last night. And so this morning, it had to be 4.30, 5 a.m., I don't know. All of a sudden, I was woke up by a loud thunder. Did y'all get thunder this morning? Loud. I mean, shook the house, shook my soul. I, I, my head popped off the pillow. And the first thing that, I guess because I was thinking about the sermon, the first thing that popped into my mind, and I don't do this, by the way, but the first thing that popped in my mind was, 
is Jesus coming back? <laughs> is that a trumpet? What was that? Is, you know, what's happening? And so I, that, I was like, wow, that's a, that's a pretty good, maybe that's a good conclusion. That we must live in the light of the truth that one day Jesus will return. And I don't think I preached that enough. But all throughout history, the church and the Bible preaches Jesus could come back, right? And we know he's going to one day. But even if he doesn't come back today or tomorrow or next year or the next 10 years or the next 50 years, we will one day leave this earth, right, sooner than later. And so the, the confidence of 1 Corinthians 15, the hope of 1 Corinthians 15 is that we are not to be most pitied because Christ did rise from the grave. What now? Four quick points of application. And then you'll have the message. First, turn to Christ. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. Let me remind us this morning that when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, back in Genesis chapter 3, Every part of who we are was corrupted and depraved and destroyed and ruined. We were ruined by the fall of Adam. So that our minds, our hearts, our wills were corrupted. So that we would never turn to Christ on our own. We would never wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be a Christian or I'm going to follow the Lord unless the Lord did something first in us. And what God did before the foundation of the world was to plan our salvation and to send His Son to accomplish it on the cross, on the empty tomb. Then He sent His Spirit to apply it to our lives. And then God draws us to Himself. You see, because of Adam, all die, or spiritually die, and physically we one day die. But in Christ, we can be made alive spiritually today, and he will make us alive physically and bodily again in the future. There's hope in Christ. If you don't know him today, turn to Christ. Secondly, I would encourage you today, what now? I would encourage you to consider joining a congregation whether that be our church or another Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. You say, I'm already a Christian, but I'm not really connected to church. I would encourage you, you can't serve God the way you need to serve God apart from a family of believers, a church family. And this church family is not perfect, right? Because the pastor is definitely not perfect. But if you're not a member here and want to be, talk to me about that later. We already have a few people in that process who will be joining soon and excited about that. But you need to be a, not only a member by name, but an active member in your church serving the church. Number three, I would encourage you, what now? I'm a Christian. I, I'm a part of a congregation. Invest, number three, invest in church community. Find out how you can serve in a church. Every single person who is a Christian has some way they can invest in the church. Through serving, helping, encouraging, maybe teaching giving, whatever it might be, you can invest in your church. And our church here, I really talk about that as our Wednesday night small groups, right? You're probably getting tired of me saying that. Is anybody tired of me saying that? 
but I'm going to keep saying it, so you're going to get real tired of it. Because I want us to be able to be together, to grow as a family, and to grow in the Word of God. What now, number four, we need to influence our crowd for Christ. If we believe Jesus died and rose again, we need to share that message with someone else. This is good news. We like sometimes sharing bad news. Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Did you happen over there? Let's, let's starting, now, starting today, let's start sharing some good news. And the best news we can share is Jesus Christ resurrected. Your crowd, by the way, is people in your life, family, friends, coworkers, strangers, anybody around you that you can share Jesus with. Church, the resurrection is necessary. It is a reality, and it is essential to our faith. I pray that you would consider these things, consider your faith, consider if you are a Christian or not, consider if one of these steps is something you need to make, and let today be a day of celebration of who Jesus is. Let's pray. As you bow, you take a moment to pray in, in silence about anything that you may need to at this time.